This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This is Christmas Day. A Merry Christmas to our listeners in the Midwest and the South. Indeed, it is one of the most special days in the Christian calendar as over 2.5 billion people around the world celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And on this day, we're delighted and honored to be joined by a principal leader from America who spent a considerable time in the Holy Land, a leading figure in the international media arena, reporting on the vital issues of the Middle East, Chris Mitchell, CBN News, Middle East Bureau Chief, based in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Chris Mitchell is the CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief based in Jerusalem, and he first began reporting on the Middle East in the 1990s. He repeatedly traveled there to report on religious and political issues facing Israel and the surrounding Arab states. He has traveled extensively and including to the more difficult places affected by conflicts and war. There are very few Western journalists that have a deep understanding of Israel within the Middle East and the challenges and opportunities that the Jewish state faces in the 21st century. For our listeners, we encourage you to consider viewing CBN News, the Jerusalem Dateline on cable or streaming services. He is an author of excellent books including ISIS, Iran, and Israel, What You Need to Know About the Current Mideast Crisis and the Coming Mideast War. Indeed, it is our great honor and privilege to welcome Chris to America's Roundtable. Welcome, Chris, and good morning to you on this Christmas Day. Welcome and Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, Joel and Natasha from uh, Jerusalem. It's great to be with you. Christmas is such a uh, wonderful day all over the world, but certainly uh, it's very special here in Jerusalem, just about five miles from Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Absolutely. Our conversation with Chris Mitchell will focus on the strong support of Americans in affirming the Jewish state of Israel and its sovereignty, the state of U.S.-Israel relations, the Iran threat targeting Israel, the region and U.S. interests, and realities on the ground in Israel as the nation is now entering a new lockdown. We begin by focusing our attention on the city of Bethlehem in Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank, with over 2.5 billion Christians around the world, including 70% of Americans, reflecting on the birth of Christ and its unique message. CBN News from Jerusalem reported this week, and I quote, One of the world's first churches is undergoing major renovations. It's in Bethlehem. And despite COVID-limiting visitors, the church's spiritual life remained strong. Commissioned by the Roman Emperor Constantine at the request of his mother, Helena, the Church of the Nativity is built over the place where many believe Jesus was born, unquote. 
and the guardianship over the church is shared by Catholic, Greek, Orthodox, and Arminian apostolic denominations. Chris, could you share with us about the major renovation at the Church of the Nativity located in Bethlehem in Judea and Samaria, and what people may anticipate seeing there and the sentiments of the Christians in Israel during this very special season? Well, just like uh, everybody around the world, Christians here in the Holy Land are just remembering the birth of Jesus. When you can come to Israel and can visit uh, the Church of the Nativity, it's a wonderful experience. It's the oldest church in Christendom that's still uh, active. And as you say, uh, we had the opportunity to interview two of the priests there. It's shared by both Greek Orthodox and Armenian and Catholic. So we talked to two of the priests there talking about how prayer continues despite Ovid. Uh, there are a few visitors, but it's a, it's a very, very special place. It was built many, many years ago by the Emperor Constantine because of his uh, mother, Queen Helena, and they hadn't had a restoration for many years. In fact, they had a leaky roof and they had to replace the roof. They had to replace some of the uh, murals uh, that had deteriorated. They were able to restore a number of the mosaics on the walls as well as on the floor. We were seeing some of the restoration of the altar and behind the altar. It's just a wonderful renovation and uh, what they're doing. But I think for people that have not been able to come here to Israel and see the Church of the Nativity, it's a wonderful experience. There's a lot of history to realize why this is the place. One of the early church fathers went to Bethlehem about 100 years uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he asked the local people, where is the place? Uh, they told him that's where it was. Origen, I believe, was the next church father that went to, um, to Bethlehem. They showed him the very same place. Queen Helena had the same experience. So there's a lot of history and uh, evidence that proves that this could be the very place. They do have a very, they have a star marking where the manger was, uh, whether or not that's for sure. But that area is where Jesus was born. One thing I, I saw, Joel and uh, Natasha, read recently that the shepherds that came might have been shepherds that were raising the sheep meant for the temple sacrifice. And when you think that they may have been the first ones to see the Lamb of God, uh, it just makes you uh, chills. And, and if I can add one other thing, I, we did a story on CBN about the wise men. Now, the wise men, they came hundreds of miles and they studied the stars and they saw this constellation of stars and planets that showed them that the king of the Jews was to be born. And they traveled for months, several hundred miles. They went to King Herod. King Herod said, uh, where is, where is this, uh, this king of the Jews? And uh, his, uh, his wise men told him it's in Bethlehem because of the prophet Micah. And so then we know the rest of the story of Matthew. They went here. They worshiped uh, Jesus. But all I have to say, for those that are listening, Merry Christmas. It's a great day to celebrate if you're driving, if you're at home. Uh, it's a wonderful day to celebrate our Savior's birth. Indeed, Chris. And as you've mentioned, you're just a few miles away from Bethlehem, uh, based in Jerusalem. And uh, in fact, during our visits too, we were deeply touched, deeply moved by our visit to the Church of the Nativity and other sites as well. So we certainly encourage our fellow Americans and those from the Jewish and Christian traditions to consider visiting the Holy Land. Chris, on the Iran nuclear threat, 
You recently reported through CBN News that the tensions are intensifying between Israel and Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism. The Vienna talks had Iran at the table, while the U.S. delegation was not even in the same room. And you stated, I quote, The war of words between Israel and Iran is intensifying. The rhetoric comes at a time when the nuclear talks in Vienna to stop Iran's nuclear program seem stalled. And you continued by saying, when Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz met with U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin last week, he reportedly presented a timeline for an Israeli attack on Iran's nuclear program and told Lloyd that Israel is preparing for the Iranian challenge at the operational level, unquote. Chris, you also shared how leaders within Israel are sensing that Iran does not fear America and is escalating the nuclear program. Also, you shared what Michael Makovsky of the Jewish Institute for the National Security of America had to say after speaking to Israel's military leaders. I quote, They feel they're alone. They know they're alone, he said. I think that they see us. Withdrawing from the region, retreating, afraid of confrontation, desperate for a deal, not able to instill fear in the Iranians, and they feel the responsibility is going to be on them, the Israeli military, to prevent a nuclear Iran. Unquote. Through your CBN News report, Mr. Makovsky also mentioned that Israeli military leaders see American weakness and cite the recent Afghan pullout as problems. Chris, what is the state of U.S.-Israel ties and how close is Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism, to becoming a nuclear power thus threatening the region and emboldened to target U.S. interests? Well, Natasha, I think right now that the relations between Israel and the United States are strained because Israel sees the Vienna talks as flawed. Uh, they feel like it would be the wrong move diplomatically to go back into that uh, agreement. They think the original agreement itself was something that was gonna lead Iran to a nuclear weapon. Uh, so they think a second deal might be even worse. And as you mentioned in our report, uh, Michael Makovsky of the Jewish Institute for the National Security of America uh, has talked with a number of Israeli current leaders and former military leaders, and they're very concerned about the current status of the United States. And uh, they mentioned three things. First of all, as we talked about the, the nuclear talks in Vienna, that's greatly concerning them. Also, it may not have made much news, but there was an Iranian attack on a U.S. base in a place called TANF. It's T-A-N-F. Like I said, it hasn't made much news. Iran attacked a U.S. military installation. It's in Western Iraq. There was no retaliation. Now they see that as a sign of weakness. And the biggest sign of weakness they've seen is the Afghanistan pullout. Uh, you know, that was not only seen by Iran, but the entire world, specifically China and Russia, that are making advances against Taiwan and Ukraine. But from the Israeli point of view, uh, they see that as uh, the U.S. willing to step back from an ally for their own national interests or perhaps misguided uh, national interests. So they see that as a large warning sign uh, to Israel. So on the one hand, you have U.S. weakness. And on the other hand, you see Iran getting bolder and getting closer and closer to enriched uranium to a weapons grade level. Uh, so all these things almost seem like a perfect storm. 
They see the U.S. is not going to stand with them, may not even give them the necessary tools to strike Iran. And uh, so it seems to be getting closer and closer to some sort of military confrontation. I've been here 21 years, and I've never seen the kind of uh, direct and clear statements by Israeli military and political leaders. And as well, you're hearing from Iran some very strong statements. Just before the talk started in Vienna, one of a leading Iranian military official said, they have not given up on their goal to annihilate Israel. And how is that a way to start a nuclear uh, talks? And they also just recently issued a, uh, a front page article on the Tehran Times where they said, just one wrong move, exclamation point, sending a warning to uh, Israel not to attack Iran's nuclear facilities. They even had a map of Israel with dozens of selected military and civilian targets. So uh, the war of words has been heating up. Whether or not there's going to be a literal physical war, we see, uh, but certainly a time to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Chris, during the Trump administration, we witnessed the American embassy move to Jerusalem, the acknowledgement of Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, and the historic negotiation with five Muslim-majority nations to normalize relations with the Jewish state in what is called the Abraham Accords. Chris, when specifically reviewing the Abraham Accords, what has been accomplished in the region, and is this considered a new day in the Middle East, as Bahrain, UAE, and Morocco foster stronger ties with Israel? And what could be potential threats to undermine this historic endeavor? Definitely a new day in the Middle East. Uh, you can see it and talk to Israelis, and you can see it and talk to the people down in the UAE and Bahrain. Uh, they seem a genuine affection, uh, if I can say that, for people that have come here from the UAE and uh, Israelis. For Israelis, it's like a, a, a new day that they can actually travel to a uh, Sunni Arab neighboring country. So on a, on a personal level, it uh, seems to be working quite well. In addition to that, there have been economic agreements. There have been uh, business deals that have gone on. Uh, I know I think up to a billion dollars already, but I think they expect uh, to go much, much higher. In addition to that, Natasha and Joel, I think this is perhaps one of the biggest things. Recently, there's been military alliances uh, between some of these Abrahamic coordinations. Benny Gantz, the defense uh, minister, went to Morocco, signed a military uh, memorandum of understanding. The Air Force commander of the United Arab Emirates uh, visited here. We were doing a story that's called Blue Flags 2021. It was Israel and seven other nations having a joint military air exercise. At the very end of that, the Air Force commander of the UAE came here and visited. And then following that, the Israeli Air Force commander went to the UAE. So all that is saying that, uh, and it's sending a signal to Iran. And, and what we just talked about with the Iranian nuclear deal and the Abraham Accords, they're very closely connected because uh, they see, they meaning the Sunni Arab nations and Israel, see a nuclear Iran as a mortal uh, danger. In fact, the Sunni Arab nations may see it even a greater danger to them than, uh, than Israel. But So that's a growing personal relationship, economic relationship, and now military alliances growing here in the Middle East, all because of the Abraham Accords. 
Chris, how are Europeans in the Middle East internalizing the new reality that Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel? And are there any indications of European states following America's leadership in affirming Israel's sovereignty, and specifically their home being Jerusalem? Well, some of the European nations uh, don't quite see it the same as the, uh, the United States. I mean, the United States uh, made a bold move, President Trump did, when he moved the U.S. Embassy here. A lot of people warned that this was the beginning of World War III. didn't happen at all. In fact, it seemed to have led to the Abraham Accords. But I think many of the European nations see a two-state solution as the solution between Israelis and Palestinians and, uh, and don't necessarily recognize Jerusalem as uh, Israel's eternal capital and undivided capital. They have not moved their embassies uh, here, and I don't expect that would happen anytime soon. And Chris, today, over 70% of America's population of 333 million people consider themselves as Christians. And through the letters penned by America's founding generation to this day, we find strong support for Israel from the Christian community. A Gallup poll in 2020 found that some 80% of Republicans surveyed said they sympathized more with the Israelis and that 43% of Democrats saying the same. A new study from Barna Research Group and University of North Carolina at Pembroke, released mid-December 2021, stated that an overall 68% of American even evangelicals believe the Jewish people today have the right to the land of Israel by virtue of the covenant God made with Abram, which remains intact today. Within the U.S., Christians are the most supportive religious group. However, we found this past year on May 2021 that since 2018, backing for Israel dropped from 75% to 33% among America's young evangelical Christians between the ages of 18 and 29. The study was done by Barner Group administered poll commissioned by researchers at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Chris, should Christian and conservative leaders be concerned about the waning support seen with America's younger generation? And can this trend be changed with greater support for Israel in the days to come? It is a dangerous uh, uh, development, I think, uh, Joel and Natasha. And uh, for the long, looking at the long term, the generational view, that's very concerning and disconcerting for Israelis and for Israel in particular. I think what could be done. Probably, as I was thinking about this, you know, certainly a revival among young people and a revival among America. And when people have a genuine relationship, a deeper relationship with Jesus, uh, it seems like sometimes they, their understanding of Israel gets clearer. I think of a, a former Muslim from Iran who came to faith. And uh, when he came to faith, he said he fell in love with Israel. Uh, it was just sort of something organic and something spiritual and something very deep. So I guess I would say for younger evangelicals who are not supporting or don't have a, a affinity perhaps for Israel as uh, perhaps as deep as their older generation or their parents or grandparents, I guess you got to read the Bible and see how God has his hand on this people and why this is the epicenter of history and prophecy. Uh, the crossroads of history and prophecy, that would be one thing. I think the more you understand the Bible, I think the more you understand why Israel, why it is here today. It's a prophetic fulfillment of what the prophets said 2,500 years ago, Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
Ezekiel all prophesied that one day what I'm looking outside my window would happen. The Jews, Jewish people would return to the land of Israel. So that's one thing. I, I think the other thing is a battle of education. And we did a story recently about the BDS movement. And on college campuses, uh, there's a concerted effort to demonize, delegitimize, and uh, and present a perhaps that I believe is a skewed perception of Israel. It's it's deliberate. It's intense, and uh, and that would have to be confronted and with education and with those willing to go to these areas of the college campuses and present another point of view. And that that I think would be very very important for people and the next generation to be able to stand and see a, a whole different perspective of Israel. Chris, you authored a book, ISIS, Iran, and Israel. Uh, what you need to know about the current Mideast crisis and the coming Mideast war, which was published in 2016. We would greatly appreciate your insights into this past year's chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, leaving behind U.S. citizens, vulnerable Afghan allies, and U.S. military equipment. President Trump almost eradicated ISIS. With ISIS-K, which is Afghanistan's branch of ISIS, with former Afghan and Pakistani Taliban members joining forces, is ISIS re-emerging as a new old threat? Yeah, definitely. And uh, and certainly they are in the uh, complicated Middle East, they are a threat to the Taliban, but certainly a threat in a larger sense uh, to the Middle East. And I would say that what sort of gave rise to ISIS to a certain extent was there was a vacuum and there wasn't an understanding of this threat. And when the U.S. administration pulled out of Afghanistan, it left a huge vacuum uh, that that really has reverberated around the Middle East and around the world. So I think uh, the lesson is that, first of all, you keep your word. And uh, and if you're going to pull out, you don't pull out in such a hurried and uh, way that left behind billions of dollars of weapons, that left behind literally tens of thousands of those that uh, supported the U.S. during its long war there against the Taliban. We wrote in the book about ISIS around in Israel. Uh, you can't leave a vacuum like that. And certainly the U.S. left a, a major geopolitical vacuum there in Afghanistan. And we, I believe, unfortunately, are not going to see the end of those consequences. This is a recurring event. Every four to eight years, we are creating a new vacuum, abruptly dropping American leadership on the world stage, eradicating early accomplishments of affirming peace through strength. We have to make sure that such vacuums do not happen again. Oh, I agree. It's a great point, Natasha. You cannot leave the battlefield and you can't leave the uh, these kind of groups that have a end-time agenda. They have a, a whole different view of the world than we do. And uh, we need to be there to stand in the gap so things like ISIS don't rise and rise again, and that the Taliban as well. Chris, for Americans interested in visiting Israel, the vast majority have had to put their travel plans on hold. However, as we look at the summer of 2022 and beyond, as the world transitions from the COVID-19 pandemic to the endemic phase with large populations vaccinated and the natural immunity growing, 
Americans are once again looking forward to visiting places around the world. Israel has experienced new archaeological findings and even scientific breakthroughs, whereby the date seed, dating back some 2,000 years when Jesus walked through these lands, has been brought back to bear fruit and more abundantly, one may say. CBN News reported with the headline, The Resurrection of 2,000-Year-Old Ancient Date Seeds, New Fruit Sprouts from Bible Time Source. I quote your colleague Julie Stahl from her report, which states, In the middle of Israel's Arava Desert, a farming community is bringing trees back to life that's bearing fruit from the time of the Bible, unquote. Some may call this a modern-day miracle, and indeed for Americans, specifically Jews and Christians who have not yet visited Israel, uh, Natasha and I, and along with you and others in Israel, have had the privilege of hosting the Jerusalem Leaders Summit and bringing people to Israel. And there is so much to see in the Holy Land. There are Jewish and Christian sacred sites to visit, the Yad Vashem, the Shrine of the Book, a facility built as a repository of the first seven scrolls of the Hebrew Bible dating back some 2,000 years ago that were discovered in Qumran in 1947. Also the old city of Jerusalem, the Kotel, known as the Western Wall, and other places as well. Chris, you are perhaps one of the most prominent scholars and respected journalists residing in Israel. And what is your message to those who have not yet visited Israel or those longing to return to this special place? And what would be the places that you would take them to discover and experience the Holy Land, perhaps as early as 2022? (laughs) We hope so, uh, Joel and Natasha. The first thing I would say was what what my wife uh, has said. Before you come to Israel, reading the Bible is like reading it in black and white. But when you come to Israel, all of a sudden, uh, reading the Bible is like reading it in color. Absolutely. You can see the places where Jesus walked. You can where he performed his miracles. Uh, You can walk the streets here of Jerusalem. Uh, You can see the place uh, where he was buried and then rose from the dead. Uh, You can go like we have talked at the beginning to the Church of the Nativity, where Jesus was uh, was born 2,000 years ago. Uh, the Bible really does come to life, not only uh, just the New Covenant, but the Old as well. And the archaeological discoveries are just astounding. One of my favorites is up in Magdala. They found a, uh, discovered a, a first century synagogue and uh, likely a place where Jesus would have preached. Just uh, a few days ago, they announced the discovery of a silver coin in the city of David uh, that had inscriptions about the uh, the revolt, the Jewish revolt against the Romans. And it's really, somebody said to me recently, it's like the earth is just spitting out, there's a word she used, but it's just coming to the fo- surface and it validates the Bible. Uh, one of my most uh, wonderful experiences, we did a story uh, at the city of David and we found there were two coins, a seal and a bula, I should say that. A bula is just a, uh, a, a, like a stamp. They had two names from the Bible. And uh, when we interviewed the archaeologists down there in the city of David, we actually had the opportunity to, to handle the coins. But he said, would you like to see the room where it was discovered? I said, sure. So we went down there and the layers of debris, you could see wooden beams that had been burned and they were just... Uh, like charcoal, and you could touch the charcoal. Now, this goes back to the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem uh, about 2,500 years ago, and it's like touching history. 
So history comes to life. The Bible comes to life. Some of the favorite places I would take people. One of my favorites here in Jerusalem is the garden tomb, where it might have been the very tomb where Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. They say it's not the place, it's the person, uh, but it's a wonderful reminder and visual aid to that Easter morning and the church of the nativity to go into the grotto uh, to see the place where he might be. And the Sea of Galilee, believe it or not, after 2000 years, it's still very pastoral. You can imagine what it had been like with Jesus with a few thousand people on the Mount of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, it's just no place like it. I, I've been here 21 years. I still, it's still a, a bit surreal that I'm here, get to see here and live here. Uh, but it's certainly a one-time, uh, sometimes once-in-a-life opportunity to see the land of the Bible, certainly a bucket list item. And I, I think it's really true that the saying, once you come to Israel, you'll never be the same. So many people feel, say, you know, when you come here, they feel like they're coming home. And it really is a, like a homecoming. Well, it is truly fortuitous on this Christmas Day uh, that we've had the opportunity to have this great conversation with Chris Mitchell, who is the CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief based in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And we encourage our listeners to certainly seek out Chris Mitchell's books that are available online via Amazon, ISIS, Iran, and Israel. It is a great book, What You Need to Know About the Current Mideast Crisis and the Coming Mideast War. We would encourage our listeners to also seek out CBN News on cable or streaming services as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this Christmas Day. A Merry Christmas to you, your family members, and the CBN News team in Israel. Thank you, Chris. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Natasha, Joel. Merry Christmas to you and everybody uh, listening. Merry Christmas from the Holy Land. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. 